Good morning. It's good to see you today. I'm grateful that we can gather together in the Lord's house on the day that he has given to us. We had 90 people in the first service, so we had a good worship service there and looking forward to our worship together this morning. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you and there is a tear off on our bulletin uh, or uh, you can fill that out with the information as it relates to you and uh, place it in the offering plate. If you have a prayer concern, please uh, write that on the card as well. Uh, anyone can do that and place it in the offering plate uh, or give it to me or one of the deacons at the conclusion of the service and we will pray for you. Uh, you notice the opportunities for the week each day we have listed at the top of the agenda. Pray for our Dominican Republic mission team. They did arrive there safely. Uh, the last I heard from them was uh, night uh, before last. Uh, they are on the same time as we're on, so it's Eastern time, but we're hearing from them late. Uh, part of the reason we're only hearing from them sporadically is because of uh, the international fees for cell service. So I think he's waiting until he's in a place that he has Wi-Fi where he can send out. But they're having a good time. They're enjoying themselves. Everything was set up as the way it was supposed to be set up. Uh, they arrived uh, as they were to arrive, and the church had uh, uh, a late dinner for them. And uh, I think they went to work. Uh, seeing the, the, where they were going to be the next day, and then they're going to work, I think, today. So they'll be back on Friday. Remember, if you took a card to pray for someone, please pray for that person each day and pray for the team in its entirety as well because uh, uh, we need to pray for their safety. We also need to pray for uh, those people that they will come into contact with and uh, lives that can be touched by their time down there. So I wanted to give you an update on them. Uh, and uh, we look forward to hearing from Dwight again when he is able to send us something. Uh, you see the announcements for the week. Uh, really, the only thing that's uh, scheduled is the 11 a.m. midweek Bible study, and we have staff meeting 11 on Tuesday, and the worship team will meet at 6 on Tuesday, and um, so you see that the Dominican Republic team will return on Friday, July 20th. They left from Dulles Airport, flew to um, Kennedy, in uh, New York and then from Kennedy to the Dominican Republic. So that's, I'm assuming, how they will return uh, when they come back uh, at the end uh, of the week. Um, I think that's all the announcements that I have for you at this time, but Mike has an announcement for us. Good morning. So... How would the neighbors in our community describe us as a church and as a neighbor? Um, have you thought about what the future Mechanicsville Baptist Church looks like over the next five years? Uh, those type of questions are questions that the long-range planning team have been discussing and asking and thinking about about our church and its future. Last week, Pat Hines made the announcement here. I'm making it this week. Um, we're soon going to come to the church and, and talk to the church about what your thoughts are about and what kind of questions you have and, and where, where, you know, what, what, is, what does God have in store for us and for our future. Uh, the long-range planning team has come to see our purpose is supporting the mission of the church by providing the strategic planning of the church's spiritual growth, its congregational unity, and missional health. 
Consequently, our purpose name, our purpose for our long-range planning team and our name, we want to make a proposal at the business meeting at the end of the month, the, I think it's the last Wednesday, the 25th, um, of proposing changes, one of which is to change our name from long-range planning to the vision team. Uh, we want something that's a little more not only looking out in the future, but also helping us in the here and now as well. And we'll talk more, uh, obviously, at the business meeting about those proposed changes that we'll bring to you. And then next week, we're actually going to have, uh, we'll, we'll have uh, one-pagers in the back that has the proposed changes so you have it before the business meeting and you can take a look at it before that as well. So I invite you to the business meeting so we can dis discuss more about what we've been discussing as a uh, team and we're looking forward to having that conversation. Thank you. Good morning. God is good. All the time. Amen. All right, this is your time to get your hymnals ready and to stand and greet everyone here and especially our visitors. So have your hymnals at page 491, actually 492, because we'll only sing the chorus of Shine, Jesus, Shine. So have your hymnal ready. Let's stand up, let's shake hands and hugs and welcome everyone here today.
Shall we pray? Gracious and eternal God, we are thankful for this time to be in this place and to allow the light of Jesus to shine in our lives. We give thanks, Father, for the power of your love to redeem us and for your marvelous grace, unmerited yet given to us because of your great love for us. We're thankful for this time of worship. I pray, Father, that as we gather here, you will accept our praise and our adoration. Draw near to us as we seek to draw near to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, let's continue singing praises to our Lord Jesus Christ. Hymn 495, There Shall Be Showers of Blessing. And we have many blessings, agreed? Yes, we do, many blessings. <laughs> there shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing, sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing. We There shall be showers of blessing, precious reviving again. Over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for showers we plead. There shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O Lord. Grant to us now a refreshing. Come and now honor our word. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. There shall be showers of blessing, oh that today they might fall. Now as to God we're confessing, now as on Jesus we If you'll keep your hymnal in hand and turn to page 104, we will be doing the short responsive reading above our next hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. I have sinned and perverted what was right, yet I did not get what I deserved. He redeemed my soul from going down to the pit 
and I will continue to see the light. You, Lord, rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And again, I'll ask you to stand, and we're going to sing that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, right below our responsive reading, page 104. Please stand. standing for our offertory prayer. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, join me, if you would, please, at this time for prayer for offertory hymn. Heavenly Father, thank you for everything that's yours that you have graciously share with us. And at this time, we hope that you'll accept our offerings and our tithes that we offer from the bottom of our heart for your son, Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate price for our sins. Bless these things that we give to you, God, in Christ's name. Amen.
in addition to our Dominican Republic mission team, I want to uh, bring you up to date on a couple of our uh, members uh, and friends. Uh, Jay Thompson was involved in a uh, bicycle accident on Tuesday of this past week and is still in MCV hospital. He has a broken clavicle and a crack in his pelvis, as well as a brain injury, uh, concussion. Uh, he's doing much better. His short-term memory is getting better, but he will transfer there in MCV to the uh, uh, brain trauma recovery uh, rehab uh, unit so that uh, he can have some therapy to get uh, his short-term memory back and so forth. Uh, and so we need to remember him in prayer. He's doing well. I have seen him twice. Uh, I would caution you about going to see him in large numbers uh, because uh, he does need rest for his brain. Uh, it's the same Jay you would always know. It's just that with uh, they've learned with concussions, uh, particularly ones this severe, that your brain needs rest. And any conversation or anything like that is uh, stimulus for the brain. So keep him in your prayers, and um, I will keep you as posted as I can along the way. And also Ruth Stewart. Ruth Stewart is in the Memorial Regional Hospital. Uh, she is not doing well. Uh, she had a heart attack on Monday night. Uh, and she has uh, other problems that are affecting her as well. And in speaking with Cindy after the first service this morning, she said the best thing you could do for uh, Ruth right now is if you have the opportunity to go see Don. She is far more worried about Don at this point than she is herself. And Ruth is really not up to company. Uh, she is really sick. And uh, she sleeps quite a bit as a result of that. But do want to keep you uh, informed about them and in prayer um, so that uh, you can know what's uh, going on. So uh, keep these in your thoughts and prayers. And if you need any information, you can always call me, call the church office, and we'll be as up-to-date as we can be. Uh, I did go to see Jay on Friday, and he did text me later in the day to thank me for coming, which uh, probably was his way in one way to say that I remembered you being here. So uh, that, was good. that was a good sign uh, from that point of view. So... Let's bow for prayer. Oh Lord, we come before you thanking you for the gift of prayer itself. Praying, Father, for these needs that are close to our hearts. Asking you to be with our team in the Dominican Republic. Asking for their safety. Asking, Father, that you supply what they need in word and in action to make a difference in the lives of of those they will come into contact with. We're grateful for those on the other side in the Dominican Republic who invited them in and who are caring for their needs and helping them in this uh, time of ministry. We're thankful that we could play a part as a church family in prayer and through our financial gifts. We're grateful, Father, for this responsibility. And we pray, Father, that as we lift each individual in the group up, that you will bless them and even at this very moment let them know that their church is praying for them. We're grateful for their commitment and for their willingness to go. We pray also, Father, this morning for Jay Thompson as he continues to recuperate from the accident he had this past week. We're thankful for how far he has come and we pray, Father, for continued improvement for him. We're grateful, Father, that we can give him to you and know that you are working in his life to bring healing. We pray, Father, that you will be with Ruth as she continues to struggle with illness, 
We're thankful for her ministry in this place for so many years. And we pray, Father, that you will continue to work in her life to help her to overcome these difficulties that she is facing. We're thankful for Don Stewart and for his leadership in this church through the years as well. We pray that you will be with him and that you will help him as he deals with the difficulties he faces as he lives in the hermitage. We're so grateful, Father, that we know that we're never left alone, that you always walk with us, and that your grace covers us and helps us, Father, to find hope even when things seem hopeless. Thank you for this church and for the opportunities and ministries of this place and for the outreach that we can be in this community as we seek to be your servants in Mechanicsville. How grateful we are, Father, that you have put us in this place in this time and you have encouraged us to reach out. You have equipped us and we pray, Father, that you would increase our faith. For our missionaries around the world, we give thanks. We're grateful, Father, for their work and for their struggles as they seek to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're grateful, Father, for each person who has come to this place on this day, for the fellowship we can share with one another as we lift one another up and share our burdens. Help us, Father, to look to you, to listen for a word from you, as we seek to serve you, in the name of Jesus, amen. Your love compels me, 
Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the 8th chapter of John, verses 2 through 11. Under the heading, A Condemned Woman. Familiar to most of us who have been in the church and recognize this story, but hopefully we can shed new light as we look at this. Verse 2 of chapter 8. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman called in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When Diana Valencia was arrested in Texas on drug charges in September 2008, there was little doubt regarding her guilt. Anyone caught with two kilos of cocaine is going to have difficulty explaining that away as an innocent mistake. However, she came up with a novel attempt at getting off. She and her sister decided to bribe the judge who would be hearing her case to make sure she got off. The plan might have worked since the judge was willing to take the money, except the FBI got involved. Agents had been suspicious of Judge Manuel Barraza and they cut a deal with Valencia's sister to record her meetings with the judge. She taped a total of five conversations with the judge in which they agreed on a price of getting her sister off. The judge was arrested and convicted and lost his judicial position because of his attempts to circumvent justice for profit. Many people think that they can enjoy sin and then find some means of avoiding the consequences. As one old preacher said, they sow wild oats and they pray for crop failure. But no matter what devices we come up with, God is a sure and certain judge. We cannot bargain or bribe Him. His hatred of sin parallels His perfect holiness. He does not turn away from sin. There is no greater tragedy in the world than that of persons who persist in traveling a particular path of sin until the stigma of that sin has destroyed both their own sense of pride and self-worth, as well as the confidence and respect of others. There is a time in such persons' lives when they pass a point of no return in regard to their acceptance by society. Yet there are times when a miracle transpires and the seemingly impossible takes place. God takes persons who have destroyed themselves and perhaps those around them and not only forgives their sin but also reverses their lifestyle so that the stigma of sin is gone. 
And such is the background of the story we are considering today. The Pharisees were always looking for a way to trap Jesus. Always trying to come up with a situation that would put Jesus in a corner that he could not get out of so that they could accuse him or allow the Romans to accuse him. But let's look first at this problem that he faces in verses 2 through 6. As I said, the scribes and Pharisees were always looking for some charge by which they could discredit Jesus. This time they were certain they had cornered him. There was no way in their estimation that he could get out of this one. They had him, they thought, lock, stock, and barrel. Unlike many people today, they were trying to manipulate Jesus for their own ends. They were trying to allow Jesus the opportunity to do for them what they were not willing to do themselves. The law was clear on this matter. Leviticus 20.10 states that both an adulterer and an adulteress must be put to death. Whereas the method of death is not designated in that passage, Deuteronomy 22 verses 13 through 21 suggests that should a girl already betrothed to a married to be married, commit adultery, she should be stoned to death outside the city gates. Therefore, from a purely legal point of view, the scribes and Pharisees were correct. This woman called in adultery was liable to the death penalty. The Pharisees used the occasion of proved adultery to test Jesus and to have ground for a charge against him. If the time was near the end of Jesus' ministry, they would have known of his proclamation of the kingdom of God to the poor and the sinners, his compassion for the disreputable of society, and even his eating with them, thereby showing complete indifference to the ritual laws as currently understood. What Jesus did for people no one had done before. Jesus looked at the individual circumstances surrounding whatever was troubling the person's life, whether it be illness, whether it be sin, whatever the situation, Jesus found a way to transcend all of those things and meet the person's need where they were. Here was a real sinner. And the law demands that she should, be, be, should die for her wickedness. But what does Jesus think? There's no question of their seeking his advice. They simply wish to discredit him publicly. They knew the law. They knew what had to be done. (coughs) They simply (coughs) were questioning Jesus. For if he upholds the law, he contradicts his way of life and his preaching. If he maintains his outlook and preaching regarding sinners and denies Moses, he shows himself a lawless person and a perverter of the people who must be brought to justice. So what was the problem? It concerned the dilemma in which the religious leaders sought to trap Jesus. If he gave the decision that the woman ought to be stoned to death, two things would happen. First, he would jeopardize his reputation with the people that he was a friend of sinners, a man of mercy and compassion. Second, he would be suggesting a violation of the Roman law which decreed that the Jews no longer had the power to pass the death penalty. (coughs) But what if Jesus had openly declared that this woman should not be stoned for her sin, that she should be pardoned and forgiven? 
They would say quickly that Jesus was teaching people to break the law of Moses and that he was condoning the sin of adultery. There we have the problem. They thought they had Jesus exactly where they wanted him. If he said one or the other, either the Jews would turn on him or the Roman authorities would turn on him. And so we see the predicament that they place Jesus in, using this woman, shaming her even further in order to get their point across to Jesus. You see, nothing has really changed. There are always people who are willing to use other people for their own ends. And we see that very clearly in this passage of Scripture. And Jesus would have none of it. We see the confirmation in verses 6 through 8 or the confrontation in verses 6 through 8. John says that Jesus did not answer the woman's accusers. He simply stooped down and began writing in the sand with his finger. Some say Jesus may have been writing down some of the sins of which these accusers were guilty. We cannot know for certain. Jesus declines to give an immediate answer. Instead, he bent down and drew on the dusty ground with his finger. Thereby, he set an unanswerable conundrum for exegetes of all time. What did he write? Wouldn't you like to know? We cannot tell. But that does not prevent us from guessing, does it? A number have thought that Jesus was simply doodling whether to calm his anger at the action of the Pharisees or simply for a time to think. Have you ever been that upset over something where you just needed to get away and be quiet, count to ten, whatever you have to do in order to not say something that you'll regret later? It could have just been as simple as that. It has also been suggested that this writing in the dust by Jesus was an example of his parabolic actions, reminding the woman's accusers of the scripture that speaks of them in terms of those who turn away from the Lord will be written in the dust. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. In some ways, what Jesus did in those few moments as he doodled on the ground and wrote something, whatever it may be, it was a silent call of repentance. Which isn't so unusual for the scripture. We know in the Old Testament we hear spoken of the still small voice, listening for the still small voice of God. Maybe Jesus was giving these Pharisees and scribes an opportunity to repent on their own. Because after all, their hearts were not pure, were they? They were using this woman to get at Jesus. Whatever the case, these men were so far into this by now that they had to carry it through. Though they may well have been quite uncomfortable at this point, they continued to press Jesus for an answer. Jesus straightened up. Thank you, Mark. You read my mind. I was starting to come to see you. This started when we were singing. Whatever the case, these men were so far into this by now that they had to carry through. Though they may well have been quite uncomfortable at this point, they continued to press Jesus for an answer. Jesus straightened up and said to them in verse 7, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And boy, don't we hear that even today. 
If to us the symbolic action of Jesus is ambiguous, when he wrote in the sand, his spoken word was devastatingly clear, wasn't it? Its immediate application will have been to the witnesses, since in a death by stoning, they had to throw the first stones. One view is the witnesses had been party to a disgusting conspiracy, that they had set this whole thing up in order to catch Jesus, but in any case had apparently made an attempt to prevent this adulterous act, even though they set it up. Speculation apart, the word of Jesus challenged their behavior, their motives, and their life in the sight of God, and they failed the test. But they were not the only sinners present, as everyone involved in the case was quick to realize. Paul understood that when he wrote to the Romans, didn't he? When he said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus was only teaching them a lesson that would be taught time and time again. Sin separates us from God and sin separates us from one another. As I told the group on Wednesday morning, isn't it always interesting, and I've said this to you before, how that my sin is not as bad as yours? And yet we all sin. In no way was this what these self-righteous scribes expected Jesus to say. He was throwing the issue back in their faces. Jesus had reversed the scene, putting the scribes on trial, both before God and their own consciences. Jesus stooped down and wrote again in the sand. He did not look at them again. He didn't have to. His words were like burning firebrands that had slammed against their hearts. He who is without sin, you throw the first rock. We always are looking for ways to escape our own reality, aren't we, when it comes to sin? We're always trying to find a way out. Yesterday, I went to the tomato festival. Haven't been but one time since I've been here. Josh and Aaron wanted to go. I said, if you go, we'll go. But you drive. So he did. He drove. And one of the things I noticed as you go in to, uh, it took longer to get in there than we actually stayed. But we did get a good deal on tomatoes. It's a very nice festival. Don't let me talk it down. I, I really enjoyed myself while I was there. But along the way, in the path in to where you had to park, they had places coned off where you weren't supposed to park. And in my mind, I said, if I really wanted to park those there, those cones won't stop me. But I wasn't driving. And I certainly wasn't going to park where I wasn't supposed to. But there was always this temptation to get off of the path they were directing you to go. Because you saw all these parking places close up, and we parked in a field in Glen Allen, it felt like. You know. But I thought about that while we were singing up here, and I don't know why, and said, what can I say? And... The thing that comes to my mind about that is that's how we live our lives sometimes. We're always looking for the easy way, the shortcut, the place that makes things more convenient for us and stop following the directions that are given to us by God, don't we? Because Jesus said to follow me, it's going to take a cross. To follow me, it's going to take more than the best efforts you have. It's going to take a relationship with me. And see what Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry was showing us how important relationships are. 
a woman that was being used of others. Jesus saw a person. That's significant in this day and time. Social media and all of the ways that we communicate with people sometimes makes us seem or makes them seem less than people. Sometimes people will say things in venues like that that they would never say in your presence. If you have to write it down to say it to somebody and you're not comfortable saying it to their face, it's probably better not to say it. You see, that's what these people were doing. They didn't talk to this woman. They talked to Jesus about this woman. And Jesus would have no part of it. But what was the reaction of the accusers, the woman and Jesus? In verses 9 through 11, the accusers reacted. All of a sudden, this legal and moral issue had become a spiritual one. Jesus had focused not on the sin or the legal penalty for that sin, but on the person involved. That was always Jesus' way of doing things. This did not mean that he was soft on sin and that he condoned so scarlet a sin as adultery. Rather, his first concern was with the victims of sin. They all left, convicted by their consciences as some early scribes recognized and the readers of the narrative know themselves to be included. We are included in this because the saying of Jesus, do not judge or you too will be judged, reminds us of our own sinfulness in the sight of God that could rightly be visited upon us. That's what's so compelling about this story. When we read What Jesus said to those accusers, it comes right back and hits us hard as well, doesn't it? Because as humans, it's difficult for us not to judge. It's part of what we do. But Jesus is saying, be careful. Be careful when you judge. Because you are judging yourself as well. For we all are sinners. Jesus had clearly made his point with the religious leaders. They may have hated him for it, but not only had he caused their own consciences to hurt, but he also had embarrassed them before the crowd. And slowly they began to slip away. What about the woman? I think she was perhaps one of the most confused individuals who ever stood before Jesus. No doubt she knew the law on this matter of adultery and what lay in store for her. Also, the exposure of her sin had destroyed her sense of self-worth and what reputation she may have had. And she was at the lowest point in her life. You see, when we use people, we hurt them in ways that are hard to measure. Not until the accusers had departed did Jesus address the woman. And that presumably was to put her at ease and encourage her to speak to him. When you look at the story, what she said was little. But it led Jesus to utter the word of liberation. Neither do I condemn you. What did Jesus say to her? Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
Perhaps it was at that moment that she recognized who Jesus was and received him as her Savior. Her soul, which had been so soiled by sin, was now as pure and clean as the new fallen snow, coming from the man whom people called the prophet and some the Messiah, but who in reality was the Redeemer, Revealer, with authority bestowed by God. It was an assurance of the mercy of God upon her. But that was not all. He added another statement. From this time on, do not continue to sin. Neither that for which she had been brought to judgment nor any deed of defiance against God. Mercy from God calls for life under God. You see, Jesus sets us free from sin to not sin again. That doesn't mean we won't. That doesn't mean we don't. That simply means we are working our way toward Christ each day in a way that will make us more like Him. Jesus said to this woman, Where are your, those who condemn you? And then He added, I won't condemn you. But don't do it again. Move forward from this time understanding the grace of God. What about Jesus' reaction? We must not misunderstand Jesus here. He was not considering the sin of adultery lightly. Whatever else may have been involved in Jesus' reply to her, we do see here the truth that Jesus was giving her another chance. She had made a mess of her life. But he was handing her the marvelous privilege of starting over again. Isn't that wonderful news? To know that a woman who was in such a fix as this woman in a public way was given an opportunity by Jesus to change it all around. Sir Edward Linzer was one of the most famous painters of the Victorian era. His talent developed early, and he had the first showing of his work at the Royal Academy when he was just 13 years old. He was commissioned to do a number of official portraits of the royal family, and even gave private drawing lessons to Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. But he was best known for his depictions of the natural settings and life in the Scottish Highlands. One day, as he was visiting a family in an old mansion in Scotland, one of the servants spilled a pitcher of soda water. the power of suggestions you hear the word water leaving a large stain on the wall while the family was out for the day Lancer remained behind using charcoal he incorporated the stain into a beautiful drawing When the family returned, they found a picture of a waterfall surrounded by trees and animals. He used his skill to make something beautiful out of what had been an unsightly mess. God works in much the same way in our lives. The things that we think of as weaknesses and handicaps can, through His grace, become our greatest strengths and the very things He uses to make the most beautiful people He can make. That bring glory to himself. God's grace provides the strength to meet every challenge and overcome every weakness. Grace by definition is always undeserved. 
Here we see it in its starkest application. Whoever first recounted the story intended us to understand the word of forgiveness as a means of release for new life. Jesus saw the woman's need and addressed himself to it. The Lord lifted up to heaven for the sin of the world since the promised spirit to enable the righteousness of God to be lived in the world. Life in the kingdom of God is for kingdom of God living. To that the woman was sent into the world as is every justified sinner. Jesus not only saved her earthly life, he saved her eternal life. And he does the same for us through forgiveness and grace. We don't know anything else about this woman. But I believe this woman was changed. I believe that Jesus did something for her in saving her earthly life and saving her spiritual eternal life that never left her. And she let others know. And when we recognize that in our lives, what Jesus has done for us, We will do the same. Louis Fletcher Tarkington wrote this delightful little poem. How I wish that was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. In Jesus Christ, this is a glorious possibility she said no one Lord and Jesus said to her neither do I condemn you he says the same to us neither do I condemn you go and sin no more shall we pray Oh, Lord, we are thankful for this story. For it shows us so much of your grace. So much of your power. To make a difference in people's lives. We are so grateful, Father. That as we read this story and allow it to speak to us. That we see our sins are forgiven. Help us to confess our sins, to admit who we are. And once we have and we feel the power of your redemption, may we reach out to tell others. People need to hear what we say. Help us be bold enough to share it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our invitation hymn is hymn number 544. Have thine own way, Lord. If the Lord has his way with you, then you will know the power of his grace. And that will take you from this place into the world to serve him now and forever. The invitation is open to anyone who would receive Christ as Savior. Jesus wants to save us. We see that very clearly in the life of this woman, don't we? He wanted to make a difference for her. And he did. And he can do the same for us. 
Will you stand as we sing? Mark came and shared with me that he is going to see Don Stewart today at 2 o'clock. And if anybody would like to ride with him, if you'd meet him here at the church at 2, he'd, he'll come here at the church and wait. And if you'd like to ride with him, uh, you can do so. And if there's more people than that that want to go, you can follow and know exactly where to go. But he is in the Hermitage. But Mark goes quite often, so he knows exactly where to go and where to find Don uh, once you get there. That's usually the harder part. It's not getting to the Hermitage. It's finding the person after you get there. But um, uh, he told me that uh, he was willing to do that. So just want to let you know if you'd like to go. Uh, he will be here at 2 in order to uh, take anyone that would like to go see Don. So just letting you know that. Thank you for being here and a part of this service. Please don't forget to remember our uh, Dominican Republic team. You know, that uh, can be a volatile place to be, uh, and there can be some danger involved in that. So uh, we certainly want to pray for their safety as they minister. I'm sure they're kept safe, but, uh, you know, anything can happen anytime and anywhere, and we hope that uh, they return to us safely and have... Uh, Many wonderful things to say to us. They will be sharing with us uh, next Sunday at the 5 o'clock um, encounter service. 
uh, if you want to hear what, they're having, what they have to say. And they'll share a little bit on Sunday morning, but not, they're not taking the whole service on Sunday morning. This was at their request to do it at 5 o'clock during the encounter service. So I'm telling you this week, so you can make plans if you'd like to be here at 5 o'clock to hear what they have to say. Let's bow for a benediction. Oh, Lord, as we leave, we do so recognizing that your grace has sustained us. Your grace has saved us. And you show us the way to live by the very acts that you shared with us while you were on this earth. As we depart, Father, we do so recognizing that we have a responsibility, being saved by grace, to step out in faith and minister in your name. I pray, Father, that as we leave today, we will do so, recognizing your love for us and the spirit that is Christ that lives within us. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.